0: Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. God's
1: doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned.
0: Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q.
1: Change itself has changed. And this is something that I I started talking about back in in Faithquakes 94, that change is no longer incremental, it's it's exponential. So that's why everything's happening so fast, that's why everything's happening so quick. That um, and that that can be a little dizzying for people, and I, I think we ought to understand that. But we also have Jesus, so you know, we you have we have Jesus, so we can do this.
0: That was author and Christian thinker Leonard Sweet to introduce us to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio with Gabe. And today we're going to hear the first half of a conversation that Gabe, you recently had with Len, about his new book, Ring of Fire.
2: I don't know if you've ever read a Leonard Sweet book, but this is somebody who has been faithfully... For decades now, looking at the future, trying to understand what's got up to, but what are the cultural issues the church is going to have to deal with? And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know we care a lot about that. I mean, this is part of why Q exists: is we want to ask the really big questions about where the world's going, how does faith intersect with that? How can we lead in a cultural moment where there's a lot of confusion and chaos? and Leonard Sweet is somebody who can be a guide for us. Uh, Before we get into that interview, though, I want to invite you to to come and join with us in person because part of what we'll talk about today with Leonard Sweet is artificial intelligence, of lack of in-person connection, of the value of face-to-face, how it actually overrides most of what we can do through a laptop, through texting one another, through FaceTime, even through social media, that when we come together, there's something unique about being embodied. And that when we're embodied, when we're with one another, there's a transference of information. There's a transference of relationships. There's the beginning of, of of new tangible roots that start to form, that grow things. And so for 14 years now, we've been trying to create that kind of space. And we've done it all over the country. And this year, it will be in Nashville, Tennessee, April 22nd to 24th. And I, I know I'm biased, but I don't know that there's another gathering happening that brings together this many leaders who are leading in every area of culture. This isn't just a church leader gathering. About a less than a third of the people who come are connected formally to to a church or to a ministry. Seventy percent are business leaders are people in the education field the social sector they're they 're in marketing and sales they 're entrepreneurs they 're people who are sitting in media positions and communicating daily on television or radio or in entertainment they 're filmmakers they're programmers they're people who are creating video gaming systems and new media platforms so it 's the kind of people who are innovative they they think about the future, but because they're people of faith, they want to think about the future with a lens towards what is God up to? How would he maybe want to use me towards a future that's coming that maybe others around me can't see, but I can see? And because I love and am passionate about the place I've been called, I want to go deeper. I want to learn more. I want to be prepared, and I want to be equipped.
0: Gabe, if I might, many of our listeners might say, well, I'm hearing those Q Talks on Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, or I watch them on the Q Media platform, so why should I bother to be
2: live at Q 2020? What would you say to that? I want to challenge you, make April 22nd to 24th on your calendar, something that you want to commit to, something that you're going to gather with another person who wants to come with you. Maybe there's some friends from around the country that you want to come sit with. We do it in tables of eight in a beautiful setting in downtown Nashville, where not only do we pose incredible questions for you to discuss, but you get to hear from these experts. You get to interact with them through our, our two different breakout opportunities we create where it's smaller rooms and you're interacting and engaging with experts on different topics. We're going to cover over 30 topics this year. That range from everything from things like criminal justice reform and politics, of course, to better understanding Generation Z and their perspective. That's those who are under 22. How are they thinking about the church? We're going to talk about tough topics such as suicide and the epidemic of rising suicide in our country. We're going to talk about gender identity. We're going to talk about censorship and where's the future of ideas going, and are there only certain ideas that are going to make it through for the public to see. So all these conversation completely consequential to the future of faith, especially in Western culture. And and to learn more about that, go to qideas.org. 2020. When you go there, you can see the topics we're talking about. We're adding those daily. You can also see some of our presenters. You can see the experiences that you'll have. We create amazing experiences on our opening night of the event. If you get out in the city with your friends, have great conversations, but also enjoy the good world that God's put around us. Uh, and so we want to see you there April 22nd. Now, as we head into this conversation with Lynn Sweet, I think you're going to see why I'm so excited about the Q Conference is because I care about these issues, and Leonard Sweet cares about us as leaders understanding where the future's going, what we should be thoughtful about and concerned about, but also in conclusion, why we don't really need to be all that concerned at all because of Christ. And so this Christ-centric conversation is something that I'm excited for you to start your new year off with. So let's listen and know. Well, Lynn, it is great to have you on the Q Podcast. This is the first time ever, and so it's just fun for our audience to get to hear from you. And as I've told them about you, you are somebody who's just been a prophet, somebody who thinks about the future, who predicts some things. And And now with this track record of, of over the last 20 years, I mean, back in 99 when you wrote Soul Tsunami, you were doing the same thing. And it's just it's amazing that it's been 20 years, but that you're still doing the same thing for leaders, for the church to think through where the world's going and how we ought to engage it, especially as the church. And so thank you for that. Thank you for, thank you for your faithfulness over the many years.
1: Well, I'm glad to uh, appreciate you recognizing that and um, appreciate that. I, I, I have actually a, a whole set of doctoral students that I work with. I'm in my 18th year, Gabe, with um, students just working in something called semiotics. And that's really what I do in this in rings of fire and what I did in, in um you know, soul tsunami. Before that, actually, ninety four, I did faithquake. So, hmm. this attempt to really help people to read the signs and then know what to do about it. So, yeah. So I've, I'm raising up a whole tribe of Visicarians. So, <laughs> well, we love. Well, we we love that. I mean, one of the practices
2: we talk about that that is just been a part of the church and has to be a part of the church is embracing the context that we're in. So we we understand it, but then we understand God's called us into this moment. So we got to bring our best. We need to be smart. We need to be informed. And I feel like that's what you're doing. And your new book rings of fire has just been such a good read for me to start to get my thinking there, because these are the things, I mean, I love reading about the future. I love thinking about it. God's given me. A passion towards that and so when I read your words and the way you're thinking about it um, there's resonance it challenges me on areas I haven't delved into enough uh, and so today I just want our audience to get to hear just big picture more about you since they maybe haven't read Soul Tsunami they don't they don't even know who Dr. Leonard Sweet is and I want them to just hear a little more about you so let's let's Go back to just a little bit of your story here, and then we'll jump into the hot topics of our moment. We'll look ahead over the next 20 years and some of the predictions you're making and the ways we should think about it, but help people get acquainted with, I mean, back in 94 when you wrote that that book, uh, and you've written 25 books, so you've written a lot of books, but take us back to just a moment when there wasn't a lot of people talking about the kind of things you were talking about then. You know, there there was a comfort in the church. There was a sense that, hey, everything's comfortable in American life. Things are fine. And yet you were kind of disruptive and, you know, that had its, I'm sure, advantages, but some disadvantages to people not understanding who you were and what you were trying, were you trying to destroy the church or deconstruct the church? But in in a sense, you were so passionately concerned about the church that you were willing to say some things that people weren't willing to say. So take me back to, to those years for you. And well,
1: just I'll give you one little, one little image, um, because you're exactly right. I, you know, I love the church and that's why I care about it so much. And, uh, so, I was raising up kind of this cry in the wilderness that things are going to change and it's going to, it's coming quick, and all this kind of stuff and and one bishop uh i from the tribe called United Methodists, and one bishop had me in to work with his cabinet and and some other leaders and and on a break when we came back after the break in the morning, he went up and he said, "This is why i've decided finally decided what sweet is and so he goes up on the board and he draws this bug. And then um, puts all these, like what I thought were wires at the time. And then he, I sat there, I'm looking at this, and goes, Doesn't anybody get it? It's a hairy tick. And so he drew this, <laughs> this, this tick with, with hair all sticking out, like it was frazzled. And, and so um, I, I've kind of been, that's the, um, the hairy tick. Uh, and all, all I was doing was just calling the church to these are the, the you cannot, you know, get comfortable. There's a whole change coming and it's going to offend yeah. everything. And, and but, well,
2: yeah, Well, one of the, one of the things you, you write in this book, especially when we're talking about artificial intelligence and genetic engineering and robotics and some of the future that we know is upon us, but that most people would rather turn their head and not think about it. They'd rather just say, this isn't going to happen, or if it happens, I'll figure it out as it comes. And they almost don't have the stomach to look it in the face. And go, this is my new reality. This is our family's new reality, our children, the people we're called to minister and disciple to, our community's new reality. And what what is it about us as human beings that we just want to look away from these things?
1: Yeah, I I, I don't know. I mean, that's that's a really good—I wish I knew the answer to that question.
2: Yeah, just fear of the unknown, I guess, right? Just
1: Yes, yeah. It, and, but it's— uh part of our mandate is to um, be present to the times that we're in. I mean, again, to serve this present age, our calling to fulfill, that's a Charles Wesley song. and And so part of the challenge for me has always been, what does it mean to serve this present age, my calling to fulfill? It's not an age I would have picked. It's not an age that I even like, but this is the age that God gave me. And for us to think that one day we're gonna be able to meet our maker and say, you know, I didn't really like that age you gave me. So I I did really effective ministry for the nineteen seventies. And I was so good for the nineteen seventies. Yeah, but this is the twenty-first century. You got 22nd century kids. Yeah, but I really didn't like that moment you gave me. Yeah. I, I don't think that's gonna work for us. Right. And and I mean, part of what's so wild about
2: this particular moment, and you said, you know, sometimes you dislike this age but there's the chaos of it right there's there's so much happening at this moment that we know about and maybe in previous centuries there was a lot happening and we just didn't know about it but but now because of our ability to stay informed to read about it to understand to see the news to to be aware of way more information than maybe mentally we were we were really capable of knowing how to synthesize or process I think it can leave people just feeling paralyzed. And what you do is you lead us through it and you go, look, we don't need to be paralyzed by this. Let's just take a, t- take a moment here. Let's let, you know, read my book rings of fire. Let's, let's walk through what it's going to look like to advance into this new age. And and maybe you could just help us understand when you look at the context, you know, the whole first part of your book gets into some of the big hot zones you call them. Can you just describe for us, uh, for you, what, are, what are, what are the ways we should be thinking about the hot zones the, especially in American life, since a lot of our listeners will be American that are listening to this, what, what are you seeing as as we look at the next decade or two, what we're needing to be aware of that's just unique about this moment, maybe compared to 20, 30, 40 years ago?
1: Well, there, there's so many. One of you already mentioned it, Gabe, and that is the change itself has changed. And this is something that I, I started talking about back in in Faithquakes 94, that that change is no longer incremental is it's exponential so every that's why everything's happening so fast that's why everything's happening so quick that um and that, that can be a little dizzying for people and I, I think we ought to understand that but we also have jesus so you know we you have we have jesus so we can do this but um i think i think one of the biggest uh challenges that, that we've got to come up with right now is that um this is a this is a culture that is profoundly not just post-Christian but anti-Christian and it's becoming more so. And that does not mean, and I, I spent a whole lot of time in this book, as you know, talking about the problem with secularization theory. And yeah. this is a culture that is not secular. This is a culture that is wrapped and warped and riven in in spirituality. It is a deeply spiritual culture so it's just not a christian culture and so i talk about sacralization not secularization Mm -hmm. And, and we become out there in this culture we become polytheistic there are many many gods we become plural theistic that's one vast synthesis of all the religions in this pantheon of gods and and so the the whole secularization theory that that academics have loved to talk about for the last 30, 40 years, I call an academic hoax. It is not the reality in which we live. We live in a deeply this culture turns everything it touches into an idol. Yeah. Uh, and and everything is sacred for it. I mean sports, we're coming up on the Super Bowl. I mean this is a sacred ritual for crying out loud for right. for the for, so but let's get rid let's get some categorical um clarity here that we do not live in a secular culture. It's a deeply sacral, sacred culture, but where which is profoundly hostile to Christianity.
2: Yeah, and to say that this culture is anti-Christian, I mean that's a there's a season where if you were to say that 30 years ago, you were seen as an alarmist, you were seen as, you know, a right winger, you were seen as somebody who was was saying this the sky is falling. But now Leonard Sweet is saying we're in an anti-Christian culture. And and the dynamics of being in an anti Christian versus a friendly to Christian culture are very different. Very different in how we engage with our neighbors, what we understand about the way our neighbors perceive us. I know some of the the research that David Kinneman and I did for our book Good Faith laid out, you know, forty six percent of Americans think religion is part of the problem. Now, of course, their definition of religion was was a little different than what we're talking about. They don't they don't sometimes see the religions they're living by because they don't call them religions, they they see themselves as non-religious. But to your point, you know, I was looking at the the Twitter data that they've compiled over the last three and a half years where they look at the hashtags, the conversations, and when they remove politics and they remove sports from the conversations, the, the one of the top trends is DIY spirituality that people are talking about. Do-it-yourself spirituality, which is what you're saying. You pull from what you want, take the little piece here and there, create your own... Version of God, and then go out and live that, and feel good about yourself. Yeah,
1: it's so, all my truth, my truth, my truth. Y-
2: yes, that's right. And and you'd mentioned that in this book, you know, the idea of this individual truth, you know, is kind of the new way of of approaching truth. And so, uh, you know, as you as you think about the hot zones, one one of the things I want you to comment more on though is you talk about the disunited States of America. You have a whole chapter on this idea of how we're seeing America start to come apart, and we're losing. Union, we're losing that sense of one people for one time. Uh, talk about the effects that could have over the next decade, and and how the church uniquely could play a role in being some healing balm for what's taking place.
1: Well, it, that that was the hardest chapter gave for me to write, because and I and many times writing that chapter, and it was a lot longer. I actually thought at one point of making it into a book, but um, I, I just I don't want to. I don't want to go down that way. You know, I just, it's so painful to talk about it, but our kids are not going to live in the same United States of America that we did. I mean, this, we are seeing some things happen and partly, let let me just say partly it's part of the whole mediated living that we are mediated lives. Um, I mean, you, you cannot take a walk, through the world without viewing that walk through the lens of mediation. Everything we do is focused on social media. I mean, you, I, when I grew up, and you probably too, um, our parents taught there was appropriate dress for a certain occasion. So you, when you went to grandma's, you dress for grandma. When you went to church, you dress for the church. Uh, that's all gone. Kids dress for how they're going to look on Instagram when they take a selfie of the picture of them there. It, it, the new default setting the new context default is not the context itself it's the world of of media so the mediated uh and thomas uh they what what's the guy's name david zogatia or whatever he wrote a book called mediated that i really it was very influential to me i can't remember his last name but he, he talked about this, this mediation and this, this new mindfulness of mediation, I think is how he put it. So that's one thing. But the second thing is, in this world of social media, there is a, a new monetization that, again, when I, when I started out, you, you subscribed to a journal. You, you paid money to get the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or, or The Economist or, or um, you, you paid for a subscription. Now that's gone. What enables all these uh, sites, these mediated sites to, to exist is advertising, and advertising is based on clicks and engagement. And that's what fuels and funds uh, media. So you got, they've got to keep people clicking. They've got to keep people engaged so that they've got the advertising revenue that they need. Well, how do you keep people engaged? Well, one is clickbait, deception. And the other is, and I hate to say this, but it's deception and enragement. You, en- you enrage to engage. So all these sites keep you enraged because that keeps you engaged and that keeps, you, that keeps their revenue stream going. So we've got media itself enraging us. And part of that enragement is separating us from each other, uh, deep fake world, uh, alternative facts, troll farms. You all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, And that is ripping this social fabric and fiber apart.
2: Yeah. And and if, if we, as church leaders, those who are responsible for discipling those within our care are not aware of that reality, that our context has changed so dramatically that how we relate to one another's different. Uh, and, and I, I guess the question that it seems hard for people to, to really land on, and I'm curious if you've landed on this, but, but, You know, you look at technology sometimes, and and I don't know your opinion on every technology, but but the sense that technology is neutral can be an assumption that a lot of people have, versus technologies having bias towards certain behavior and biases towards, um, you know, negative uh, a negative approach to something or a positive approach. For example, a gun is biased towards violence, right? So so maybe you're using it to hunt, um, not necessarily kill somebody, but but that's a bias that it has. It's not a neutral bias. Um, when you look at the future of how technologies are developing, such as social media, such as us getting more comfortable with the phone being in our hand and somewhat attached to us and uh, looked at as a direct tool that we must utilize to communicate now to much broader uh, groups of people than beyond just our local community or those who know us, are you seeing that this starting to to take shape? And you would say, hey, some some of this media is biased towards a uh, post-human era that we need to be hyper aware of and the church ought to be shouting from the rooftops, be careful, tread carefully. Let's, let's pull back here for a second. Let's recognize how this technology is reshaping our imagination, how we're thinking, how we're talking to one another. Uh, or would you just say, Hey, this is just part of how progress advances. It's scary at, at the beginning, but we need to embrace it and utilize it, in, you know, instrumentally for our own purposes.
1: No, well, you know, I think of course I, I'm going to, uh... I'm an incarnationalist, so I want to incarnate the gospel in whatever that culture is. But Jesus said, you're in the world, in that culture, but don't be of it. And so I, I think you're exactly right. Every culture, every technology has a certain bias. and But it's not just the church's job. It's the parent's job. It's the job of the home, the family, the church, the community, to say to these kids, um... I mean, I was a bookworm and my parents were constantly worried about me being a bookworm, what that was going to do to me, because that technology just fed and fueled my own uh, introversion, you know, and, and so th- there were remedies, there were implications of what it meant for me to do this way. So th- the, the phrase I use is parents, we need for our kids, we need to not to isolate them, but to insulate them. And part of that insulation is missing. The church is not being insulating its 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 people. The families are not insulating its people. It it is a we are in a dangerous situation. We just send our kids into this world. I, I, I grew up with a, a mentality of there were certain words you didn't say because they had power to take you over. There were bad words. Don't say those words because they can take you yeah. over. Well, you think words are bad. Images are even worse. Images can take you over in a minute. And so we have an ethic of words. We have no ethic of images. If there are certain words you should never say, maybe there's some images you should never see. And if you do, you need repentance and you need cleansing rituals. My grandma, I'm from West Virginia. She had a cleansing ritual when I had bad words. and and, uh, (laughs) Did it involve soap in your mouth? (laughs) That's exactly, so this is what we're talking about. I think you're exactly right. We've got, but that's up to the church to do that. It's up to the family to do that. And we are not even asking those questions, Gabe.
2: Yeah, well, I think there's this tension in the church, and I I see it illustrated at some of the highest intellectual levels of of Christianity, evangelicalism, where you know I don't know if you're familiar with Rod Dreher wrote a book called The Benedict Option a few years ago that you know really really struck out a bit of a vision that that looked as if the church and Christians and that he was advocating should pull back from some of these cultural spaces that we're inhabiting and actually get our own families in order get our own churches in order connect more network better as institutions because we're being taken over by a wave of of both as he would describe secularism but also of of new forms of culture that we're we're undoubtedly completely unprepared for and to just blindly continue to say we're just going to be in the world and not of it and yet not actually have the 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 core community around you on the same page theologically or philosophically about how to engage this, that we will be so weak, we'll just be completely overrun. And and I know he gets lambasted for having that perspective. But as I hear you talk, and I know in my own thinking, there's value to thinking that way. There's value into saying, hey, if we're in the long game here, there's moments where with your kids, with your family, with your church, uh, that there's there 's something to be said about putting some guardrails up and saying we we need to be wise, we need to go deeper with those who are within our care and shepherding them and preparing them for this world and sometimes that might seem a little uh, as if we 're we 're backing off of our mission to go into the world but how how are you seeing that
1: well I, that's that 's where i I feel exactly like you do about that book and in some ways the way, the way you presented it because I think he diagnoses our problem and our challenge but The game is not the huddle. I mean, you do need to huddle and families need to huddle. The church needs to huddle. We all need to huddle, but the game is not the huddle. You come out of the huddle and down the field. And that's where, again, you huddle to insulate, to prepare, to strategize, to warn. This is what what the lay of the land is. But God did not call his church to huddle. We are there to huddle only long enough to come out of that huddle and go down the field in ministry and mission.
0: Well, we're going to have to push the pause button right here on Gabe's conversation with Leonard Sweet about his latest book, Ring of Fire. Now, there's so much more to this conversation, so I hope you join us next week for the conclusion. Thanks again for spending time with us here on Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. On behalf of Gabe and the team at Q, have a great week.